0: Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Okay. Part 9, let's talk about it. So we're, we're, we're in the Galatians here. We're talking about, uh, we're in chapter 4, okay? And, and we're going to wrap up chapter 4 today and even start with the beginning of chapter 5, which, by the way, we just sung about this whole idea of freedom, being free. And I, I hope you know just how free you really are. I want to tell you a quick story about when I was free. It lasted about like two days, okay? Uh, I was a brand new Christian, okay? And I was super excited. I was free, free, forever I was free. I was singing the song. Not really, but I was singing a song about freedom, right? Just like all of us did this morning. And I felt it on the inside. I was excited. I was just like the early church. You read the book of Acts where it says they were constantly filled with this wonder, this awe of God, this this just, I don't know, excitement every single day. Well, that was me. I woke up. I was that guy that was too excited. You know, I was the guy that was like, everybody's like, okay, you're a new Christian. We're glad you're here. You know, I was that guy. I was excited. I'm dragging everybody with me to the street. I'm like, we're going to go tell people about Jesus. Let's go. And that lasted about maybe two weeks. Okay. And then I quickly learned uh, the ins and outs of church. I learned about the law. I learned about, oh, Javen, you need to be holy. Now, here's the thing. I started off feeling so holy, man. I had lost my past. Everything was gone. I was excited. And as I walked out and, and began to experience this new life, I started having this fear. And this fear came from well-intentioned believers, maybe a pastor or somebody who was sharing their heart and, and telling us to keep going for God or whatever. But, but what I heard was you could lose all of this cool excitement and feelings and that I'm free. I could lose this somehow. And, and, and so you start asking yourself the question, okay, well, how do I lose it? H- how does this happen? And, and it's, it's easy. Because the moment you sin, the moment you do something, you feel like a failure, right? You feel like, oh, man, I thought I just was free. I thought I just, I thought I just experienced Jesus. How in the world could I have done this? And suddenly you start believing that if I did this, maybe that says something about who I am. And, and all of a sudden you have this fear of, but wait, I want to be holy. I want to be free. And, and yet I find myself over here. And unfortunately, this is because most believers spend way too much time staring into this thing right here. Uh, do you know what this mirror is? You guys, if you've been here a little while, I've used it before. Uh, this mirror, I'm trying not to blind anybody. it like can shine it right in your eyes. But uh, this is that mirror that on the one side you're like, man, I look good, you know. And then you flip it and you're like, what is on my face? You know, like that's, that's what this thing does. It, it, it amplifies or shows you all of, the, all of the fleshly mistakes we all have. And somebody here is like, I don't have any. Come look into the mirror. Um, you will be surprised. Um, but this is what Christians do, right? Is, and I was, I was given this, you know, right out the door. It was like, oh, Javon, welcome to the, welcome to the family. Here's your mirror, you know. It's like, oh, wow, thanks. It looks cool. Except that it's poison and it shows me all of the things that God doesn't need me to see and he's not even looking at anyway. Like, I want to demonstrate today like, the difference between the existence that I had and the Galatians were having and what Paul was sharing. So this is exactly what the Galatians were going through. This is why Paul wrote what he did. Now, this morning, as I talk about this, this thing called the flesh, okay, I want you to understand it. It sounds weird, by the way, I know that. Uh, you know Anybody outside the church that hears us talking must think we were crazy, you know, the flesh. It sounds strange, but what it means is the body, and I believe the soul as well, okay? So it, it, it encapsulates the human experience, okay? So when we talk about this, it's not, it's not that this thing is bad, okay? It's that what happens within it. Uh, It wasn't all the way that God had planned it. And so what ends up happening is is that we strive as people to be self-sufficient, right? We teach our children what? Be self-sufficient. We want them in this world to be able to exist on their own and do on their own and all of that. And this is the problem, is in the kingdom, God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient. He wants us to be uh, sufficed by his grace. His grace is sufficient, Like that is the main difference between all of these things. For as long as you live here as a believer staring at things, you have to remember it's you and God working together. (laughs) You don't need that. No, you, you just need God's grace over here, which is what he gives you and he loves you and he calls you by name without a mirror. He doesn't need you to stare into that thing at all. So this is why Paul is writing these Galatians. He's, he's writing to answer the question about the law. He's writing a mixed, mixed group of people, and, and some of them were just so obsessed with the law. And maybe you know somebody like that today. I mean that in all love. I was that person for a very long time. right? I, I once again saw it as the path to become holy. Like, I wanted to someday be able to say that I kept all of everything. Like, you, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And every human wants to be able to say these things, but God had a different plan. Listen to this. Matthew verse 17, or Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says this. He goes, look, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This morning, Lord, I, I ask that you would help this message. Man, make makes sense. To the person who's listening to this that loves and is obsessed with trying to please you and be holy and all of those things, God, I pray today would be the day that that would just crack and, Lord, your light could just shine into that heart. Show them how much you love them. Show them just how big grace is in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, this is a massive message today, and that's not about me. This is about what Paul and other people wrote. But this message is the message that I believe many are hung up on, and that simply is this question. If I look at myself and I see sin, how can you say I am holy? That question paralyzes so many people to the point that they don't believe they can be holy. When I'm sitting up here saying you're sanctified, you are holy, they're saying, no, it's not possible because I know what I did this last weekend, okay? And I hope to show you that that that's not the way things are at all. Matthew just said it. Jesus just said it. Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Now, let's talk about how we translate words. Okay, Fulfill, as we'll look at in a, in a minute, can mean a couple different things. But the, the, the clue into how to translate this properly comes from what Jesus just said when he said the law and the prophets. All right, for anybody who, who, who wants to put the law in its own category and then prophecy in its own category and say, well, Jesus did it this way with prophecy, but with the law, he amplified it or made it bigger or, or, or filled it to the full or, or however way we want to say it. It's really incorrect because you can't split these things apart because Jesus didn't. He said the law and the prophets. These are a thing. (laughs) It's a a joint effort to point to Jesus. And so what Jesus was going to do, let's let's just see if it makes any sense. When we think about a prophecy, when we think about something that, that was spoken about Jesus that he would do and he did it and it was done, would the proper use of fulfill mean to amplify it or make it greater or to fill to the full? No, he, he completed it. It makes way more sense to understand that he fulfilled it. Like, he checked it off. It's never going to be done again. It was a prophecy that was prophesied for one person to do one time, and then it's done. It's completed. So the cool part is, is that when Jesus is saying that I came to do this to not just the prophecies but to the law, he's saying I came to do something that the law said nobody could do. <laughs> In fact, that's going to be the evidence that Jesus is is who he is, is because the law will never be able to condemn him. The law will never have anything on him. He's the only one that could, they could ever experience that. And that was the point, was the law and the prophets were to point to Jesus. So when he shows up, we go, there he is. There's the one. And instead, we made something completely different out of the law. So rue, this word, fulfill, it means to render complete as something that is full or perfect. It's done. It's finished. These are the words that Jesus spoke. So how does, that, how does that play out for the believer? Well, Paul would say in Romans 8, 3 through 4 this, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Oh man, just think about that. What the law couldn't do. Are you saying the law couldn't? Yeah, the law couldn't do it because your flesh was weak, so God did it. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned it in the flesh. It doesn't just mean he trapped it in the flesh or something. That word means doomed to destruction. In other words, he absolutely destroyed sin in the flesh. He took it away from us, in fact. Jesus did what we could never, ever do on our own. And so Paul says this in Romans 3.31, then are we nullifying the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Faith reveals that the law is kept in us. Do you understand what he's saying is is that we're not establishing it in the sense of like, well, now we preach the law, and now we can keep the law and all this. He's saying, no, because it's kept in you, you are proving that to the world. And how do you prove it? Is it through your behavior? No. And this is where Christians get confused. It's proven by your belief. It's proven by who you are in Christ. That's what demonstrates that the law is fulfilled within you. I have life, Every time you sing the words, I have life, thank you for life, life in me, you're just saying the law has been fulfilled because it's gone away to produce this brand new life by the spirit that you and I live by. So you're actually proving it, Paul says. Look at what he says in Galatians 4.4. We just read this last week. This happened because the fullness of the time came. The fullness of the time came. An entire end of an age happened. Let me ask you something. I mean, this happens all the time. You, you'll, you'll be talking to somebody about grace. You'll be talking to somebody about this amazing truth, and they'll say, yeah, but Javen, Jesus said, right? And, and they're quoting Jesus. How in the world could that be wrong? It's not that it's wrong. You have to remember what side of the cross Jesus is standing on. Is he standing in the Old Covenant talking? Because he's going to say things under the Old Covenant a certain way. Or is this after the cross when everything has changed, when the fullness of the time came, when the end of an age came, God sent his son born under the law. So he came under the law. He, was, he kept it perfectly. But when he was on that cross and he said, it is finished. Oh, man, we don't even fully understand what he was just saying in all of that. He's saying everything was finished. Uh, ratifying a brand new covenant with God between father and son, that was finished, right? Uh, all of the sin issue finished, all of your efforts finished. All of the religious ideas finished. All of the law that all of it called for finished. All of the celebrations and I mean, everything was finished, and the product was Jesus. The product was this new life, this new way of living called being children of God. Children of God. Everybody who believes, Acts 13, 39, is freed from all things for which you could not be freed through the law of Moses man, the law of Moses could just show you all of your zits. Man, they're bad. <laughs> Look at them. And offered no help, no way to get rid of them. And so what the law could never, ever do, God did by sending his son, he says. He freed you from the law of Moses. All right, so let's ask the question then. Then what is the law good for? Let's let's talk about the unbeliever for just a moment. Now, Now, when you get, when you, I'm just going to read this to you, okay? I've written this down, but for the unbeliever, here's what it means. There is an absolute in the universe, and his name is love. Here are violations of him, love, transgressions against love. Your ideas of good are not good enough. You have nothing to offer. You can't even keep 10 of these rules, and there's 600 plus. You're hopeless, You'll never get it right, and what's worse is it means you can't be in relationship with God. You can't be blessed without being holy, you can't experience life to the fullest without being holy, and to break one of these is to break all of them, you are doomed. (laughs) It reveals sin, and therefore reveals shame to you, and shows you how sin killed you because it was exposed. It proves that you are unrighteous and violation of the universe, and someone who by their actions proves they hate the very one that created them. And also, it makes you want to sin even more. And people are saying that's what you're under. (laughs) That as a believer, you would want to be under that. No, no, that's that's not good news in any way. In fact, it prepared you for good news. And here's the good news. What you could never do, God did for you. That's the most incredible news ever. That what I could never produce, I could never keep, yeah, not even one of them. Jesus came and he did it all perfectly. So, here's what it means for the believer. What part does the law play for the believer? Well, Here you go. I, I made up a few things, okay? So this is my thoughts. Uh, it proves you are righteous. That's a weird one. When did, when did you ever look at the law and it proved that you are righteous? And you know that's what it does? Because guess what? It shows Jesus. And where is he? In you. Life in you. The Bible says that he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. So when I look at the law, what I see is, is, oh yeah, I'm righteous because Jesus did every single one of these. It proves that I'm victorious because Jesus kept every single one of these. It proves that I can see sin, the law, but furthermore, I can see what God did with sin. He put it on Jesus and took it away. It proves, the law proves that I'm as holy as he is, (laughs) obedient from the heart. It proves that I can rest because Jesus fulfilled the requirement that the law placed on me. You see how it works? I mean, you can make up your own list. Basically, this thing does not condemn you as a believer. It does not shame you as a believer. It only shows you what Jesus kept and did perfectly and placed within you so that now you can say, hey, I actually have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, you remember the Pharisees. You remember what they did. They would, they would place something called a hedge of protection around the law. You ever hear that phrase? Maybe you've prayed it over your car or something. You know, Lord, put a hedge of protection around it. Look, where that actually came from was, was that they were so conscious of the law, so conscious of sin, that what they wanted to do was put any kind of guard around even the thought that you could Break the law. So, for example, as a modern day example, uh, if it was the Sabbath day and you went into an elevator, you would find somebody there to push the button for you because you couldn't push the button, okay? Because, well, that could infringe on work. I don't know if that's a work or not, so we won't take a chance and we'll hire somebody to push the button for us. This is what the Pharisees did. And this is what a lot of well-intentioned Christians do. I don't want to hurt God's feelings. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to I don't want to you know, I'll just I'll just put all these hedges of protection in front of you know, I just I'll just won't do anything <laughs> cuz I just don't want to make God not love me or care about me. And so here's the here's the section of Galatians we'll focus on this morning, Galatians 4:21. Look at what Paul says. He goes, "Look, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, this is little L law, okay? If you don't know what that means, in the New American Standard, that just means it's kind of the Torah, okay? He's talking about like the story, not just the Mosaic Covenant, okay? So this is like the, the, the first books of the Bible, if you will. He's saying, look, for those of you who want to be under this, he's talking to the Gentiles then, he's saying, for those of y'all who aren't, by the way, that's most of us in this room, you never were. Uh, for those of you who want to be under the law, don't you even listen to this? Have you ever heard the stories he says? So what, what Paul's going to do is he's going he's to use allegory, okay? He's going to try to use real people, real history to point to spiritual truths. Now, I want you to catch this. This is super offensive what he's about to do, okay? What he's about to do is, is compare uh, patriarchs that they, Abraham, you know, and Moses and these guys that were like massively important guys, and he's going to associate them with a whole other religion, okay, that came from Ishmael, okay, Islam and all this stuff. He's going to use these guys to paint a picture about the law, okay. So you want to see just how we're not under the law. Like here, here is a really good picture that Paul gives us in Galatians 4.22. He says this, For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. All right, you remember Abraham did something really silly. Uh, I mean, I say silly, but it was really dumb. Uh, you know, he, God promised him, Abraham, I'm going I'm to make you the father of, of, an, of many nations. You're, you're going you're to have so many kids, it's going to be unbelievable. Well, he's like 90 years old, and he's like, well, okay, God, I don't know what happened here, but I'm getting old, and, uh, and God's about to go give him a kid. But Abraham decides and talks to Sarah and says, hey, what if, what if the slave Hagar, what if I lay with her and, and we just call that our kid? You know? And Let me tell you how well that worked out. <laughs> you can imagine being Sarah, how that would work out. You know? It's not gonna go good at all. And in this case, it didn't. And of course, Hagar and Ishmael were cast out. And you'll see that in a moment. He'll use that even as a part of his allegory. But, the, but, but listen to this. He goes, here are your two options in other words. You have the flesh, or you have the promise of God. Verse 24, this is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants. Now here he goes, this is offensive. He's tying all the Jewish people he's talking to, he's tying them now to a son that they all considered, you know, kicked out. Okay, this is not somebody who's a part of us. These two women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, and she is Hagar. I mean, right there he attaches everything that's happened Uh, with the law and all this stuff, and he attaches it to Hagar, not Sarah. He continues, verse 25, Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Again, very offensive. For she is in slavery with her children. Here is Paul calling all the Jewish people slaves. He goes, you're all slaves. Remember, Jesus said the same thing, and they, they said, we're not slaves. He goes, this is what he's saying. But their Jerusalem above is free. Now skip down. He says this. You brothers are like Isaac, are children of the promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now also. So he uses these real players, Hagar and Sarah. And I want you to, if you imagine the two sides of this stage, imagine Sarah over here and Hagar over here. He uses these two real people to show some real spiritual truths. And what he shows is, is this. Is there are two different covenants represented. You have Hagar, who represents the Mosaic Covenant, okay, being under the law, if you will. Then you have Sarah, who represents the Abrahamic Covenant. You have two different ways to procure blessing. Through Hagar, it's works. Through Sarah, it's by faith or God's promise. Uh, it produces two different products. With Hagar, you get sin, you get Ishmael. With Sarah, you got Isaac, you got faith. Lastly, you have the two different qualities of life. On the one side, you have, you have Hagar, who represents being a slave, and you have Sarah, who represents being free. I know I moved through that kind of quick, but the point is, is this, is that if you understand what Paul is saying, he's saying to go back to trying to live under the law means to, to serve a whole different family. Like, like, like in other words, you've, you've completely left... Uh, what this this truth really is. And so he says this in verse 30 through 31. What does scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. The son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Let me say it a different way. We are not children of the Mosaic covenant. We are children of the promise. Do you see how drastically different, and Paul is telling the Galatians, guys, Y'all have totally missed this. If you want to get back under all of this, he says, then it's, you might as well go join any other religion. Go join Islam. Go, go do whatever else you want because it's only in Christ. It's only in grace that you find life and you find what Christ has done for you. So, I want to show you a little bit of scripture and then we're going to close. This scripture is super, super important, and I encourage you, if I'm able to persuade you this morning to see this, if you see it, Spirit shows it to you, I encourage you to share this with other people. Take these scriptures. I put them in your notes for a reason. I'm going to share them on the screen for a reason because it lays out um, an understanding for why you can be as holy as God is, and yet look into this thing called the flesh and go, but Javen, there's sin right there. Listen, I met somebody at the door not long after I preached a message similar to this, and he looked at me and he just said, Man, I, how can you say that we're holy? when, when I, I'm going to leave here today and I'll probably sin today. I mean, I think he was just ready to do it. I don't know. But like, you know, he was just basically saying it. He's like, how can you say that? So look, I, I get it. I get that this is hard for us. And so here's, here's the actual scriptures that, that paint the picture. All right, I'll move through this pretty quick. Hebrews 10.1. For the law, since it was a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. All right, the law was a shadow of the good things to come. Right? Seeing seeing this list, seeing this uh, expectation of God sounded great because, man, if we could do that, if we could be that kind of person, doesn't that sound great? And so Jesus would be that for us. So the shadow made us conscious of sins. Jesus, the real, made us conscious of the Father's love for us. So you see how that was infinitely better than what the law could do for us. They meant different things. Verse 10, he continues uh, after saying, he says, Look, uh, God doesn't want any of your sacrifices. He says, uh, in fact, even the sacrifices he ordained through the law, he didn't even take pleasure in any of those things. So verse 10, he says this. By this will, saying that Jesus had come, that by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Who keeps saying you're not sanctified when the Bible says you are? It says it right there. The idea is simple, is that we couldn't do this. And so he, he had embodied. And he came and he did it for us. That verse 14 would say that by one offering, him, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Look, that word perfected means the end stage. Imagine an assembly line. You know, everything's going down the line. When it reaches the end, it's finished. Well, what I hear is, is that he authored and he perfected the very faith that you and I enjoy every single day. He perfected it. It's finished. These are all the same words that he used. So, what happens then, Javen? What happens if I try to use the law to see who I am, to see how I'm doing, to measure my success, or in any other way, to to try to see into me? Well, let's look at what Paul says happens when we do that, which, by the way, he says uh, we have one nature, and a lot of people think we have two. We have one nature. You don't have a sin nature anymore. Okay? And Paul in Romans chapter 7 is showing that he used to have one. He's showing that, that there is a difference between what he sees now and what he saw then. Look at what he says. First off, he's talking to his brothers, Romans 7 1. Don't you know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law? That the law has jurisdiction of over a person for as long as he lives. There is only one way out, <laughs> and it's death. Because, brothers, y'all know that. So, verse 4 Therefore, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, understand something. You can't be married to two people at the same time, okay? <laughs> you probably understand that. Uh, and in this case, he's saying that. He's saying, listen, you had to die first. There was a reason for the law. It was, it's not evil. It had a purpose, so that you could die, <laughs> so that you could be joined to him. For while we were in the flesh, underline that, you're no longer in the flesh, that's why he says, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of your body to bear fruit for death, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we can serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. All right, well, what are we going to say then? Is the law sin? No, on the contrary, I would never have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." The moment he heard the words, "You don't, don't you dare want that," you know, or what did they have back then? They didn't have race cars. Probably like horses, you know, or whatever, like a pony. Don't you want that guy's donkey over there? You know, he, and, and Paul's like, "Why do I want that guy's donkey all of a sudden?" You know, this is a really weird uh, <laughs> example. Let's continue in scripture. <laughs> Uh, okay, verse 13, therefore, did that which is good become a cause for death for me? Did the law because, cause, it, cause me to die? No, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would be utterly sinful. You want to know just how sinful, just how insidious sin is. It'll use God's own stuff against you. Like he'll, He twists and turns everything, and so the law reveals just how insidious this stuff is. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. All right, that's an important phrase for every believer in this room. You ever wonder how come sin bothers you so much? It's because you're alive. It's because you have the Spirit of God within you, and that's what he's saying. He goes, look, I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but... I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Okay, huge point here. If you ever wonder why your relationship with God is contentious or or stressful or like, how come I always feel like a failure and then I pray and I feel better and then I... He just said it. He just said this is what happens. When you stare into the law... What happens is a war begins to take place in your mind. When you stare into holiness as if you haven't got it yet, a a battle begins to take place between the person in you saying you are holy and you going, but I see sin. That's exactly what he's saying. And look at what his response is. Wretched man that I am. Even Paul, when looking at himself through the law or looking at himself through a lens that says you're not quite holy yet, You will find yourself saying, God, I'm a wretch. I'm just a wretch. It's what will happen. But listen to what he says next. How will, who will set me free from this body of death? And he gives the answer, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... On the one hand, I find myself with my mind serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So although the experience may, may, may have some, some roughness to it from time to time, the cool part is is that he reminds you of who you are at all times. You have the mind of Christ to be reminded. that You're not a wretch. You're not some, some uh, person that God's just waiting to get cleaned up and then you kinda, you'll be invited on in. No, his grace alone did everything. Everything. And I want to give you this last picture. Because this is what the picture, this is the part that I honestly believe so many who don't believe in sanctification. Who don't believe, believe you can lose your salvation. Believe that you're not quite holy. Whatever it is. This is the scripture that changes all of that. It, it, It has all of it in there. Colossians 2, verse 10. In him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay. Think about that for just a second. What was circumcision supposed to be for? It was supposed to demonstrate that you were gods. Okay, that was supposed to demonstrate that God had made a, there was a covenantal promise here. And this was the demonstration that, okay, I'm all in. Do you know, as a believer, you have to go all in, okay? And although some people will hear that in one way, what he means is you got to (laughs) die so that you can be born again. And that process of dying and being born again was the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of flesh, all of the sin that you ever, ever, ever will commit. He cut that away from you spiritually as to never consider it a part of you ever, ever again. Listen, he says this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. What is that? What's all your transgression consisting of decrees against us? Even what the law said about you, he took, and he nailed it to the cross. He's taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. It was hostile towards you. Look, if you're going to sing that we are free, we are free, and all that, know where that comes from. Paul is going to close us out today by saying this in Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery." You're free. Look, let me me demonstrate this one last point. This is my phone. Do you guys have phones? Are they cool? Can you do cool stuff with them? Okay. Uh, It's not an iPhone, don't judge me. It's still state-of-the-art, thank you very much. Um, And here's the crazy part about this phone. I can do amazing stuff with this phone, Now I can't go to the moon with it, okay? But here's the, here's the crazy part, is the technology in this phone far surpasses what they had to fly to the moon with. Like the space shuttle, they went. Up the, this blows that away, and I hold it in my hand. Like that messes with my mind, you guys. I'm like, wait a minute. Like they went to the moon, what, was a hamster driving the thing? Like it makes you really start to wonder. But if I were to use this as a point, if you were to come to me and say, Javen, I know your phone's really cool, better than an iPhone and all that, but if you were to come to me and say, I can, y'all let me get past that, that's good. Uh, I'm gonna give you NASA technology. We're gonna take the technology that came from the space shuttle itself, we're gonna embed it into your phone and make it even cooler. Okay, I might believe that, like, what? You could put the space shuttle computer in here? Like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm gonna go to the moon. Like, what am I not gonna be able to do with my phone? And can I tell you, y'all know this, it would destroy my phone. And be an utter disgrace because the technology doesn't even match what's already in my hand. So the point is, is this, Paul is essentially saying the same thing. He's saying, I know it sounds really cool, the law and boy, living under a covenant and all this kind of stuff and, and and being blessed through that. I know that sounds so cool, but can I just tell you that what you have right now beats that by a mile, (laughs) And to try to merge those two things together is just going to ruin both of them. Like the, the law was never intended for you and I to live under, to try to keep, to try to anything. It came 400 plus years after the promise for a reason. It was the next step in the journey. Here's the promise. Here's how futile and hopeless it is for you. Oh, but look, someone's gonna come. Here's all the prophecies. Here's all this stuff. Somebody's coming, someone's coming. And then he came and he finished it all. And he handed to you Javen's phone and said, here, this is so much better than what you have. Live by that today. Live by that truth today. Quit, quit trying to become holy. You are holy. <laughs> See yourself as you are. And then go tell somebody else. Go share this. Go tell somebody about the truth so that we can stop seeing ourselves incorrectly and arguing about things that just don't even matter. Let me pray for us. Lord, I... Uh, I'm so humbled by what you've done to be your son, to be a child of God by grace alone. Lord, I know it is just part of living here that we we constantly want to add to what you've done. We constantly want to fix all these little things that we see in us, And, and Lord, I know that you walk with us through some of those things, and you do help us, but Lord, there are times where you do just say that your grace is sufficient. Lord, I'll be the first one to say that I don't like hearing those words because I like to think that we can solve the problems, that we can fix everything about ourselves. And Lord, it's hard sometimes to just trust that you, you've got it, you have enough. (laughs) And Lord, I pray for anybody within the sound of my voice who's wrestling with the idea of being holy. And Lord, anybody in this room that doesn't feel holy, God, I pray today that you would give them a firm picture of who they are in you, Jesus. And that their experience would change today, in Jesus' name.